the foghorn you know what that means it is time for the cavish ships podcast where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day i'm chris cavis and i'm chris cervello coming up this week we build on our conversations about navigation plans and shipbuilding to discuss how to pay for a larger and more capable fleet is the old way of doing business still effective or should we look for new and creative ways to grow the fleet we will discuss in our next segment. But first, a quick roundup of naval news around the world. The Japan-based carrier USS Ronald Reagan returned to Yokosuka August 19th after a three-month patrol in the Western Pacific. The cruise ranged throughout the, the South China Sea to Singapore and the Philippines and took place during a period of heightened Chinese military activities in the region. With the return on August 11th of the carrier Abraham Lincoln to San Diego, there are now no U.S. carrier groups deployed in the Western Pacific. But in the Atlantic, the newly deployed USS George H.W. Bush is en route to the European theater where she will relieve the USS Harry S. Truman in the Mediterranean. The destroyer USS Bulkley, DDG-84, arrived in Rota, Spain, August 17th to shift home port from Norfolk, Virginia to the U.S. Navy's four deployed Naval Forces Europe. The move completes a swap out that began in 2021 of the four U.S. destroyers based in Spain. The Biden administration has announced that an additional two destroyers will be transferred to Europe, but the specific ships and a timeline for that plus up has yet to be announced. The littoral combat ship USS Sioux City arrived in Sicily August 8th after just over two months operating in the Central Command U.S. Fifth Fleet operating area. The ship is making the first ever European and Central Command deployment of a littoral combat ship. Sioux City will operate for an unspecified time with the U.S. Sixth Fleet in the European area of operations. The Air and Missile Defense Exercise Pacific Dragon 2022 wrapped up August 15th after 10 days of maneuvers and missile shoots on the Pacific Missile Range Barking Sands facility and off the coast of Kauai, Hawaii. The biennial exercise included warships from Australia, Canada, Japan, Korea, the U.S. Navy, along with the U.S. Missile Defense Agency. The 2022 exercise featured the first Pacific Dragon live-fire intercept of a short-range ballistic missile using a standard SM-3 Block 1 Alpha missile. The British frigate HMS Lancaster left Portsmouth, England, August 15th to begin a three-year deployment to the Mideast. The Type 23 frigate will be based at Manama, Bahrain on the Persian Gulf, where she'll relieve sister ship HMS Montrose. A Navy T-45 Goshawk jet training aircraft crashed August 16th while on approach to Naval Air Station Kingsville, Texas. The pilot and only person aboard the aircraft ejected and survived the crash. The aircraft came down in an empty field on Navy property, and there were no other injuries. And that's a look at just some of this week's Naval news. All right, it's time for our discussion portion. Um, and as we mentioned in the intro, we spent the last several weeks talking about force structure and shipbuilding. We've talked about infrastructure, ship count, manned and unmanned, uh, growing the workforce, sustaining that force. But are those really the issues holding us back from growing the size and capability of the fleet? Chris and I spend a few hours each week before we come and hit record on the podcast talking about, you know, things that we've picked up uh, from different people. And, you know, one of the things that came up was, you know, really my biggest concern is, you know, how we fund those ships. Um, 
the me the message those mechanisms send to shipbuilders and their suppliers. Um, you, you know, the reality is it's easier to shed ships than it is to quickly fund and build them. So Chris and I started talking about, well, how do, how do we fix this? I mean, is, is this even possible? And so we thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of flush some of that conversation out uh, during this discussion period. Chris, the thing that that struck me and, and what I mentioned to you earlier in the week was there's this idea of creativity all throughout the military right now. You know, can you build something more creatively? Can you collect data in a creative fashion? Can you think differently about the way we've uh, done things in the past. And, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, what strikes me is the way we fund things is really the same way we funded things for a long time. Is there a need to change the current laws? Is that even possible, um, you, you know, from your experience and your thinking? You know, people have been asking this question every week, every month, every year for years, years and years and years. And it is, there's so many reasons why the current system exists that it's it almost, I mean, to, to really start parsing it goes down down the wonk, you know, rabbit hole to hell. Um, it's, it's very, very dangerous. So trying to stay out of that rabbit hole and just above it all, um, politically, it's very difficult because Congress, depending on the mood, depending on what power or what, or what um, parties in power, depending on a lot of things, um, either, either wants to pay for things in a better way, but they also want to pay for everything every year. And that's just really difficult. It's just, um, you know, if you want to build up your Navy, how do you, how do you pay for everything every year? There are, there are some exceptions, the aircraft carriers, by far the largest ships there are to, to, uh, to build the most expensive have essentially two year centers with, um, you know, I mean, um, long lead funding in advance and, and they, they try to spread it around a little bit. There are other examples, um, but, you know, Congress, I mean, I, I've been around so long that I, I've seen Congress tisk tisk and scold on all sides of this. They've told the Navy, you have, you know, you can't be profligate. You have to, you know, find a way to pay for everything every year. They've also said, how can you do this and not have to spend for it every year? And there have been various plans to come up with things. And in the end, they all get defeated. So you're left with this kind of silly system of paying for everything every year. And anybody who's an adult, you know, in America and most of the world knows you don't buy things because you've got that much money to buy it. Most people don't have $60,000, $70,000 to go out and buy a new car. Most people don't have, at least in the D.C. area, a million dollars or so to go to go buy a house. You put a down payment, you pay for it on time. You can negotiate that. But there's no appetite in Congress to look at that so that we have this, you know, instability every every um, budget season uh, with, with the people who are making up these budget. And this is this is budget time right now. There's, you know, while, while most of Europe is on vacation and a lot of people in the U.S. are at the beach or in the mountains, there's a lot of people in D.C. who are putting together the 2024. Um, I always have to stop and think what year it is um fiscal budget submission now this is when they're they're, they're really getting down in, into the nitty-gritty and you have to do all these trade-outs what can we afford this year which is why there's no stability in the in the in the five-year plan the fit up um you know you just you have to keep pushing things out this is our priority this year everybody does that congress does it too 
but there's no commitment to a, for example, a five-year plan. Stability, I mean, industry continually argues for, you know, give us some stability so we know where to make investments. We know how to manage our assets. I think that's an important point. It's that commitment, right? I mean, you know, as we toured uh, the shipyards over the last couple of weeks and, you know, as we visited industry in the past or talked to them at trade shows, I mean, it, you know, their whole timeline, their whole cycle, whether you're building ships or whether you're building airplanes or, you know, building anything else. I mean, it is, it's driven by that commitment. And so, I mean, that, that's just what gets me sort of scratching my head, trying to figure out how can you, how can the the Navy demonstrate its commitment to Congress that it it indeed has a plan that it is, you know, all in on? Um, we know that's not the 30-year plan, right? Because, I mean, that changes so much. So as you mentioned- it's not the same thing. Right. Is it in the way, uh, you know, should there be some other plan that goes to Congress that, that demonstrates the Navy's commitment, you know, for the next five years? And then as such, then Congress can demonstrate its commitment in a way that engage, that allows industry to, you know, make the necessary uh, investments and commitments it has to its workforce and to its supplier base. It just seems to me that, you know, it, it's easier. And I know we're going to talk about the decommissioning list, but it, it's easier to get rid of ships than it is to commit to buying ships. And if that remains the case, we're never going to get to our number, whatever it is. Um, I, I've said this on this podcast before. I mean, my entire career, we've never gotten to the number that we said was our number. When I when I first started doing this in the Pentagon, it was 313 and then it dropped to 300 and then it was 325 and three, you know, there's got to be some way that we change the way we go about this if we're ever going to get to the number that we we think is necessary to deter and defeat the 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 adversary. Um you've written a lot about multi-year commitments. I mean, is that is that the closest we'll come to, you know, the nirvana that that I'm, uh, you know, trying to to get to, or um, are are they problematic in how they're handled? I mean, at at the moment, the the, the multi year programs are not money oriented; they're really geared towards authorizing. So we've we've approved your ten ship five year buy, for example that doesn't pay for that 10 ship five-year buy that right each year the the appropriations the money for each of those ships is is dealt with individually so it, it gives authorization it, it's the government saying we're we are committed to doing this nominally in the time period that we said but they're not necessarily held to that it does allow industry to do planning so right now we have we have myps for example in the submarine program, the, the, the Virginia class, SSN 774 class, which is a mature and well-understood class with, with um, all the issues and the costs are more or less understood. Um, there's a, the current MYP for destroyers, uh, Arleigh Burke class destroyers is running out. That's one of the issues this year. The Navy requested a, a five-year five 10-ship MYP. Congress is suggesting a 15-ship, five-year MYP. Um, the Navy, in turn, has to look down their their budget and figure, okay, out of those coming five years, do I have enough money 
that I'm being allocated each year to buy three destroyers, which run about two billion or so um, a piece. That's a big chunk of change. And when you add these things up, they don't add up in terms of this is how much money we're going to get annually to buy ships. So that's why the Navy moves these things around time and time again. There's a lot of things that keep getting pushed out. You know, right now, for example, the law, the late amphibious warship that, uh, you know, there is, is a big, big deal with um, with the Marines and, uh, and Force Design 2030. Industry is all excited about that. It's a whole new program. There's a lot of tier two shipbuilders, even a couple of tier ones who are really interested in that program, but, but it's been pushed out already two years. It'll keep getting, who, who knows? It's a bill payer. And that's, I mean, it's part of making a budget. But again, there's there's no commitment to it. And, you know, Congress is, you know, one of the one of the themes I've heard, and, and again, it depends on who's talking and what year about what, um, is, you know, Congress doesn't want to fund things over several years because we don't want to tie up future Congresses with our decisions. And that, you know, the, the hypocrisy of that goes around and around and around because then they do other things that completely tie up future Congresses to their decisions. Um, yeah, I mean, I can think of a dozen things that Congress and, does that has, you, you know, right, right, endlessly. It's it, it's a really silly thing to say, but right. you know, you hear you hear people say it with great depth and you know and, and profundity. You know, this is we can't we can't do that. Oh no 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 no, and then then they come back the next day and do something that does exactly that on some other issue. Yeah, I mean, it just seems to me that the funding authority equals the planning horizon and sort of the business um, tolerance for risk, right? So the longer that authority would be, it would seem to me that it would force DOD to be more committed and more, um, you know, tied to their plans. Whereas if you're really only doing it, you know, a year at a time, that's kind of what that planning cycle will look like. And then, you know, industry is sort of at the end of this whip, um, you know, getting jerked around, uh, if you will. Um, and so, I mean, I know that, you know, like you, when I've talked to people, I mean, they point to risk that, you know, hey, if you approve something, then, and, and it's not going to be, it's not going to come to life for, you know, several years down the road. You, you know, we take a lot of risk, but I guess I would ask at this point, as we sort of look towards the, the Chinese, again, whether it's to, to deter or God forbid, fight them, it would seem to me that wasting time is greater risk than than wasting money, um, and, and so there's something has to be um, so, something has to be done, um, and and until we can get our arms around this, I, I kind of feel like it's the same loop. There needs to be some other group that looks at this uh, and and helps both the Navy, DoD, and the Congress kind of think about this in a in a different way. As I mentioned, I mean, what kind of spurred this for me this week, in addition to our trips, was the Navy dropping their um, their decommissioning plan. Uh-huh. As I said, I mean, it, it seems like it's a lot easier to drop that plan than it is to to drop or, or to get paid for, you know, plans for the future. What was your take on on that decommissioning plan? I mean, we've kind of talked about the things that were on there, but h- how about the mechanics of how that plan came out this week and? you know, kind of what it uh, what right. it said to Congress about their previous objection to some of these moves. So a little background in that just usually around this time of year, middle of middle of the calendar year, July, somewhere in there, 
uh, the Navy puts out a an inactivation list for the future for the coming fiscal year of ships that will leave service, leave active service, decommissioning, um, inactivation, since military seal of ships are not technically in commission. Um, this year, the list just came out and this is a bit, this is a major topic of debate on, in, in, on the Hill, as everybody who's paid attention to this knows, and that the Navy's, the Navy's put forth a lot of these ships to go out of, uh, out of service, a lot of cruisers, a lot of littoral combat ships, amphibious ships, um, and Congress, uh, virtually every iteration of the defense bills right now includes provisions by Congress to not decommission ships, certain ships. Some of them are mentioned by name, as a matter of fact specific ships um, or just by number and it's and yet this list just came out in the midst of all this which is still in play but you know if, if you hear if you heard one message from congress it's don't decommission all these ships and the navy not only put all those ships in the list doubled down on it but added a whole bunch of really actually sea lift ships for a total of 39 ships that they want to leave service in the coming year, the coming fiscal year, including every single ship that Congress has said, don't do this. And or Congress is, is they haven't, they haven't passed these bills yet. They're not, they're not law yet, but it's going to be, they're not, they're not yet enacted. So there's, there's this kind of, you know, big middle finger from the Navy of, we don't care. We're going to, we're, this is our plan anyway. And it's kind of perplexing. I don't. I'm not aware of any regulation or any law that says you have to put this list out right now. You could, and there's no there's no wording in here about, um, but there's, there's a little about you know subject to congressional approval, the following ship retirement decisions are are requested. Okay, well, did you even have to put that out right now? Why don't you just wait and see what happens? That congressional approval comes in the way of the budget, right? I mean, you you got you have to have money to to do these actions, and we're still you know likely weeks or months oh, away. In the in but it but but again the navy the navy's the navy's playing fast and loose with a lot of this stuff. Even in the in the in the current um, defense bills, uh, the navy denied permission, for example, for the navy to decommission Detroit and Little Rock LCS seven and LCS nine. Um, and there's, there's, there's provisions in current law that says you may, you may not decommission these ships. And in response to the Navy saying, well, we didn't budget for their for those, for operations for them. Congress actually added money specifically to operate those ships. I'm told by reliable sources that those ships are pier side at Mayport with, with uh, caretaker crews and people have been transferred off that ship. They're, they're not operating. They're, they've been run down, both of them um pending you know here we here, here we are asking to decommission them again um the sioux city we mentioned in our in our show right now is on deployment um that's supposed to go away that ship was 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 upgraded specifically to do this deployment which as far as i know is going pretty well that's on the decom list there are ships in here which have been delivered not even three years and you and and they're on the on the decom list so now you know some of this stuff makes sense um there are two submarines on here two uh two old 
688 Los Angeles class submarines that it's 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 time for them to leave service and of course Virginia class submarines are coming into service that's not a not a knockdown that's normal um but some of this stuff the the USS Vicksburg an enormous amount of money on the cruiser has been and continues to be spent on that on, on this ship to put her back in service um she's still in shipyard hands and actually nearing completion and Congress is the, the, in, in the bills now being considered specifically saying don't decommission the USS Vicksburg. Well, there it is. USS, USS Vicksburg is back on the list, must inactivate by no, no later than 30 June 2023. It, it just, where's the dialogue? Where's the, where's the discussion? I, I don't even know what to make of this list other than you're just, you're just ignoring what, what, what the reality is and going ahead with what you want to do. I mean, is that what do you think of this? Well, I mean, I mean, I I think it's bad. Uh, it's bad form as you uh, as you articulated. Not only is it bad form that I think will cost them when it comes to congressional relations. I, I think it's bad form in the fact that they didn't really provide any context when they put it out. Right? I mean, if you know, obviously you would assume that there's a reason they put it out, and so why not talk about that reason? Why not make the case? Hey, we've got to do this now. I, um, you know, we need to we need to cut these ships so that we have money to modernize, to grow, to maintain. To I mean, there, there you know, in theory, there's some reason rationale behind doing this and they've just been quiet um they've been getting their butts kicked for the last several weeks and months on, on this stuff um and there really has not been a compelling response to the the questioning from the hill and to uh the questioning that you know from from folks in the media so uh, it it really does for me it it makes me lose even more confidence in their ability to 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 you know be prepared for the future where's the discussion where's the dialogue where's the where's the even acknowledgement that this is a this is a current continuing problem um and then you you know in the face of a major period of chinese military activity when everybody's saying what are you guys doing everybody's warning about what's coming i said we could talk about this till the cows come home now hear this now hear this all right well now, Mr. Civello will have some thoughts about lobbying your lawmakers to help the Navy. Thanks, Chris. Expanding on the conversation of the last segment, it's time for something different when it comes to building and operating our Navy. The thinking, leadership, and business practices of the last two decades will not keep us safe in the next two. The sooner we realize this, the better. Earlier this week, friend of the pod and noted naval advocate Commander Salamander wrote on his substack, we lost an entire generation of naval developments with programs like CGX that failed to launch, programs like DDG-1000 that failed to transition, and programs like LCS who exist only to mock our claim to be the world's premier naval power. He goes on to write, Navalist institutions have failed their moment, and we are drifting rudderless into a minefield while those with the charter to provide and maintain a Navy remain at their cocktail parties, reminding each other how wonderful and influential they are and a potlatch-esque omnastic orgy of feather nesting. The future be damned. Strong words from Sal, but they're hard to argue. I have zero confidence in the Navy's ability to unilaterally conceive, articulate, budget for, and defend the force needed to deter and, God forbid, fight China in the next 10 to 15 years. 
The good idea well is dry as a bone and the Navy needs help. This sad but truer and truer fact is why I believe Representatives Gallagher and Luria have it exactly right when they call for a congressional commission to dig deep into the problems plaguing our Navy and right its course before it heads further into harm's way. If Gallagher's co-led cybersecurity solarium is any indication, a congressionally mandated commission has the potential to bring together the right people to identify the problems, the creative solutions needed, and help draft the policies and laws necessary to make immediate change. Waiting for DOD and the traditional congressional committee structure to get around to fixing the problem will cost us time, money, and lives, none of which are acceptable. The Gallagher-Luria Commission made it through the House NDAA process, but was not part of the Senate bill that passed earlier this summer. That means it must be added to the conference version of the bill if it is to become law when the act is passed later this year. I ask all of our listeners to reach out to lawmakers that are part of the House and Senate conference process and encourage them to support the inclusion of the Naval Commission in the joint version of the bill. Such a commission may be the only way to break the rudderless status quo and pluck the feathers of those giving bad advice for personal gain and profit. But more importantly, it may be the only way to ensure we maintain our maritime superiority. Well said, Chris. I couldn't agree more. Well, that does it for this week. And as always, our thanks go out to Vago Moradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. Be sure to follow us at Cavus Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Hey.